Attorney, Fox News legal analyst, and two-time New York Times best-selling author. This is The Brief with Greg Jarrett. Experts say that China is hoarding a massive amount of food. They will soon have over half the world's wheat. What does this mean for you and me? Two words, food shortages. That's why you should stock up on the best-selling Four Patriots Survival Food. Create your own stockpile by using the code GREG, G-R-E-G-G. Four Patriots Survival Food is hand-packed in the USA with different delicious breakfasts, lunches, and dinners, and their five-star reviews on the website rave about the flavor and taste. Just go to fourpatriots.com and use the code G-R-E-G-G to get 10% off your first purchase of Four Patriots Survival Food. That's fourpatriots.com. Use the code GREG, G-R-E-G-G. It is an honor for me to be interviewing the one and only Greg Jarrett from Fox News, Fox News legal analyst, New York Times bestseller. Greg, it is so great to be with you. Congratulations on your new book. I'm used to dealing with you with the Russia hoax and all of these bad actors in Washington. This book is so much different. And in fact, when I was preparing, you called me a few weeks ago to tell me about the book. I was honored that you would send me the book. And, you know, I should have known this, but... I, I had forgot. I didn't know what you were talking about. And I had to go back and read. And I think I had not studied the Scopes trial since high school. So, and I think it really matters for today in today's crazy world, uh, because this is a trial that's really about free speech. It's why true social exists. It's, it's why I left Congress to go out and work on free speech. But this has a real personal vibe to it. You are passionate about this. This almost seems like a passion project for you because it's something that you read as a child and you later now you've been have been a successful lawyer, but it's what drove you into into law. So, Greg, I'm, I'm honored to be with you, honored to be your friend and and tell us about uh, your your new passion project. Well, here. thank you so much, Devin, for doing this. Uh, you and I worked so much together uh, trying to unravel the Russia hoax and it's amazing we're doing this uh, in the last 24 hours. The Durham report has come out exposing the truth and confirming, you know, everything that you as head of your committee uh, found out and what I wrote about in, in two books. But now I have this new book, uh, you know, The Trial of the Century. And it is a passion project for me because uh, the story of the Scopes Monkey Trial, the story of Clarence Darrow, who was the legendary defense attorney for Scopes, that story changed my life. You know, I was a young teenager and, I, you know, I have no idea why I did it. I read a lot of books back then in the 1960s and 70s, and I plucked a volume uh, uh, off my father's densely packed bookshelf. And I opened it up and I started reading it. I became engrossed. And the more I read- And Greg, let me yeah, let me just, st- just stop you for a second because, you know, I've known you, you know, I've known you in Washington, yeah. um, in New York. I know now, you know, where you live, but but just to take it back, where, where did you, I think everybody would want to know, uh, you know, everybody's known you for so long on Fox News, but where did you, 
Where were you born? Where were you raised? Where did you go to high school? Well, I was born and raised in uh, the suburbs of Los Angeles. My father was oh, a uh, trial California attorney. guy. Yeah, California guy, just like you. Yeah. Uh and my father was a trial attorney. I used to cut school and go watch him try cases in front of juries. Uh, you know, he taught me a lot about the law. He taught me how to research cases. I, I would get 50 cents for every case I researched. And, uh, you know, he taught me the rules of evidence at the dinner table as, a, as he cross-examined me. So I had, you know, an interest in the law, but it wasn't until I picked up this book about Clarence Darrow, the great writer and author, uh, Irving Stone wrote a biography on Darrow. And, you know, I began to admire Darrow's virtues and principles, uh, his values, his values animated my own. But the chapter I loved the most was about the Scopes monkey trial. It was considered to be in that generation, 1925, the trial of the century. And then I got to high school, and sure enough, they put on a production of Inherit the Wind, which is a fictionalized version of the Scopes Monkey Trial. I auditioned. I, I wasn't an actor. I got a bit part. That didn't matter. It was sort of being in the company of Clarence Darrow, albeit a fictionalized one, was all that mattered. I read that book over and over and over again, and it inspired me to become a lawyer, and it changed my life. It's so odd, you know, Devin, sometimes serendipity intervenes, and it alters the remainder of your life. So that's how I got involved in this. And, you know, when you when you look at this and I was, as I was preparing, cause I wanted to make sure that, uh, I was as up to speed as I could to try to do a, you know, I'm, I usually don't do these types of interviews, by the way, Greg, I know, usually I the opposite. you're it. usually like talking to me. Um, but, or we're on together. I think most often we're getting interviewed by somebody on Fox and the two of us are, are pontificating, but I wonder this in the day of this age of fake news, this age of lack of free speech, as you were researching this, um, like I went and kind of got, I looked at what was out there on the internet, which is always dangerous yeah, uh, because there's so much fake information out there on the internet today. But what would you say as you did the research to write this book compared to, do you feel like that you were able to get different facts and real facts? Like if someone just goes out there and Googles it today or does a search engine, are they going to get truly what happened in the Scopes Monkey trial? And do you bring something new to life? What should we be looking for in kind of what what, what is what is fake news today versus what is real news that's out there? Yeah, well, that's a great question because a lot of it is inaccurate. As we saw, journalists uh, commit the, the the worst kind of media malpractice in my lifetime during the Russia hoax. Um, mm -hmm. so I decided, let me see if I can take myself into the courtroom in 1925 when the trial of the century occurred. I traveled to Dayton, Tennessee, and my co-author and I, Don Yeager, my friend, uh, he and I went there, we met with town leaders and we met the archivists to the old courthouse. It was closed at the time. And he had a key and he took us inside and he showed us the second floor courtroom. It is unchanged in almost a hundred years. It's still laid out the way the trial unfolded with a packed courtroom, 
the judge and the litigators. And then he said, let me show you the archives. He takes us down to the basement and there are all of these incredible pictures. And you will see in the book, 40 of the pictures that I was able to obtain from the 1925 trial, pictures of the town, pictures of, it sort of opens with a picture of uh, Clarence Darrow sitting across from his nemesis, the prosecutor, William Jennings Bryan, and they're sort of smiling together, but they had become enemies and certainly never more so than during this trial. There are pictures in the town of how it became literally a circus with a trained chimpanzee dressed up in a plaid suit and people paid money to shake his hand and to watch him drink a a soda at at the drugstore fountain. Uh, I mean, it was crazy. It was a carnival atmosphere because all journalists the world over converged on this tiny town of Dayton, Tennessee to watch these two iconic figures clash in what was really a titanic battle over so so let me ask you just for kind of logistical purposes i'm a guy you know i like i like maps and i've been to tennessee so i I think everybody kind of knows where nashville is and people know you know kind of the center of the state and you've got memphis along the river on the on the west side of the state where is dayton at you know it's about 45 minute drive from chattanooga tennessee so it's on the it's in the eastern part of Tennessee. It is indeed, and so mm-hmm. uh, you know we went there, and and what we also found in the archives was a an original copy of the trial transcript, every word that was uttered during the trial, and I obtained a copy of that, uh, and that mm-hmm. formed the basis of the trial. So you ask about you know fake news and and fact. These are the words that were spoken by Clarence Darrow, Judge John Ralston, uh, William Jennings Bryan, who was the prosecutor in the case. And also they showed me, and I used in longhand, the judge's court reporter notes of the events that took place in the trial. So this this is historical record, and I use that really as the foundation for this book. So it's quite accurate. And and what uh, you know, I read in, in some of the searches that you do, and you know, God only knows, I don't even remember read you know I, from hit, my history books back in high school. Uh, but there was <clears throat> there there's there's a story out there, and I'm not going to say it's fake news because I'm going to because I'm not the expert. But as if that this trial was put on, um, that all the people involved in it, including Darrow. All knew this was like a design production um, to to create a spectacle of some kind to create. I mean, I don't know, like a Hollywood production, for lack of a better term. Is there any truth to that? How how, how did they decide to actually set up and, and have this? Um, because I think it scopes right is the gentleman that was that was accused of of uh, wrongdoing, right? Yeah, of of breaking the law because he was teaching. I don't want to say evolution, but I think it was, you know, basically, I guess there was a law at the time that was, I'm guessing was unconstitutional later, but later found. But it was kind of this fight between, no, you can only follow the Bible teaching in school versus science in schools. Right, right. So you've put your finger on the backstory. Uh, 
you know, this was a time after World War One where America turned inward, and there was a tremendous fundamentalist Christian movement led by William Jennings Bryan. It was a three-time presidential candidate for the Democrats, and he convinced states to start banning books on evolution uh, because religious leaders at the time, including Bryan, thought that it undermined the story of the divine creation in Genesis in the Bible, which it didn't. Uh, but they mistakenly believed that. And in Tennessee, it was the first state to pass a law that criminalized uh, the teaching of evolution out of a textbook that was state approved, that had a chapter on evolution. So the, the backstory here is that town leaders in Dayton, Tennessee thought, aha, we could be the first test case which would draw attention to our town, our tiny town, and, you know, draw in business, make us famous. People will come and live here. It'll boost the economy. So they called into the drugstore where all the meetings in town took place. This amiable young school teacher, 25-year-old John T. Scopes, and they said, John, we heard you taught your biology class. Uh, a little bit about evolution. And Scope said, well, I don't ac actually remember, but yeah, I think so. It was in, I taught them uh, the test and the material for the test uh, came from the book and there's a chapter on evolution. So yeah, I did. And they said, will you admit so that you can be a test case and you know, you're going to be arrested and charged criminally. And he thought about it and he said, it seems like a bad law. I'm willing to challenge it. He was promptly arrested and handcuffed and hauled off to the Hooskow. And, uh, you know, William Jennings Bryan, who had gotten the law passed, was overjoyed. And he volunteered to join the prosecution team. Sitting in Chicago was the legendary defense attorney, Clarence Darrow. And he, he's reading about it. And he is absolutely incensed and angry. Now, mind you, they had one time been friends. Darrow had supported uh, Brian in two of his three presidential campaigns. But when Brian had, uh, had gone about imposing his own religious views on government and getting these laws passed, Darrow turned against him and he became his nemesis. So Darrow volunteers to defend Scopes for free. And that set up the trial of the century. Uh, you know, it's an amazing story. In a way, it was sort of a setup to test the new law. And literally, within a couple of weeks, the trial began in the hot summer, uh, July of, of, tw of uh, <laughs> in 1925 in Dayton, Tennessee. And so, do, so the, the town leaders when they kind of set this up with scopes um, to challenge this law, what side were they on or did they have a side that they were on? You know, some of them were uh, against the law. Um, others were simply, you know, motivated by money uh, to, to try to drive people to their town to boost the economy. And, and, you know, their reasoning was, They'll love this town. It's a beautiful town. They'll come here and they'll want to live. It'll put Dayton, Tennessee on the map. 
And Dayton had hit some pretty hard times with the closing of the local mines. So this was a way uh, to try to resurrect their fortunes. Uh, in, a, in a way, it sort of backfired. Uh, newspapers mm-hmm. across the country uh, were not terribly kind to Dayton, Tennessee. Uh, and for, uh, you know, 70 years after the trial, you know, Dayton was sort of ashamed of it all. They now come to embrace it. In fact, they have a Scopes Monkey Trial Festival in which actors reenact uh, the events of the trial. But, you know, they they came to be ashamed of it. Uh, you know, it's sort of interesting. The best laid plans of mice and men often go astray. Yeah. And so and so in the trial, so walk us through the kind of walk us through the 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 trial, because ultimately, well, I don't want to steal the punchline, but yeah, but ultimately um, scopes, you know, is the, the law is upheld, correct? Yes. Now, you know, history would write that Clarence Darrow prevailed, but in fact, he didn't. He knew the cards were stacked against him, that he was facing mm-hmm. steep odds. Why? <clears throat> because the jury pool was composed of, uh, you know, devout church followers. Um, you know, none of them knew anything about evolution. Uh, you know, all of them read the Bible. Three of them had read no other book except the Bible. And the judge, John T. Ralston, was a an ordained minister. And he had spoken out against evolution. Well, kind of sounds like our Department of Justice and FBI today. Yeah, it does, doesn't it? So the yeah. fix is in. Yeah. Uh, he ruled. Like having a trial and being a Republican and being tried in Washington, D.C. I know, exactly. Or, and, or you know, New York City. He prevented Darrow from putting on. Uh, an earnest, legitimate defense. Darrow had hired at his own expense theologians and scientists that were renowned all over the world, and he had paid for them to come to Dayton, Tennessee, to explain to the jury what evolution was, and importantly, that it was harmonious with the Bible, that it did not conflict with creationism. Uh, but the judge would have none of it. He wouldn't allow all of these esteemed intellects to testify in front of this, you know, rural jury. And and Darrow pulled a rabbit out of his hat, down but not out. Uh, he decided that he would call William Jennings Bryan, the prosecutor, to the witness stand. Now, I mean, that's that's unheard of. You know, the defense attorney doesn't call the prosecutor as a witness. I, I didn't even know. Can you do that? I guess it was that state. Was that this was this was state, state court. court, right? So, you know, and it was Tennessee 1925. You can pretty much do whatever you want to do as long as the judge allows it. And, and you know, Darrow's strategy was he knew Brian. He knew he had an ego as big as all outdoors. And his ego would not uh, stop him from taking the witness stand to show off his knowledge about the Bible. Now, Brian had, you know, written essays and columns and gave speeches and sermons and, you know, suggesting that he was an expert on the Bible. And so Darrow said, "Okay, prove it. And the judge was like, what am I going to do? Brian insisted 
on taking the witness stand. The crowd. So Darrow, so Darrow dares him to take the witness stand, but Brian actually wants to take the witness yeah. stand. So I guess the judge was like, well, you guys both want it, go at it. Right. And Darrow's thinking, yeah. this is great because I hope I can show that not everything that is written in the Bible should be interpreted literally. And of course, theologians know, and indeed, uh, you know, most uh, Protestant religions and the Catholic Church now accept evolution. The Pope has said that it, you know, evolution presupposes creationism, that they're harmonious. And Daryl thought, if I can make Brian look like a fool for believing that everything in the Bible should be taken literally and not spiritually, uh, then I might be able to win the case. The judge moved the trial from the courtroom out to an outdoor platform left over from the 4th of July festivities. Thousands of people gathered. The judge was worried that the courtroom might collapse under the weight. So he moves it outside, huge platform out there. Thousands of people gathered in the town square just outside the courthouse. And Darrow cross-examines William Jennings Bryan. That's how we open chapter one. And he utterly destroys him. He goes through stories in the Bible that are obvious allegories and parables. They're not meant to be literal. Uh, They teach an important moral lesson. And, you know, like Joe Biden, William Jennings Bryan begins to stumble, fumble, and mumble. He doesn't have any answers that are more reasonable. And the crowd that was behind Bryan turns against him as you know, effectively Clarence Darrow, the great lawyer that he was, uh, you know, began to shred him in a withering cross-examination. And the interesting part, by the time it was over, uh, William Jennings Bryan was defeated. He was a broken man, heartbroken, and literally died just down the street when he laid down to take a nap five days later and never woke up. So it's a fascinating story. And again, it's based on what really happened, the truth, based on the trial transcripts I obtained down in the dusty archives of the courthouse. And so what, uh, so you start the book out in chapter one, telling, you know, kind of telling that kind of what is the grand finale. And then do you, what do you go into after that? Do you go into case law and what became of this and what came after or, or, or do you just go through the trial more? We split the trial. So we start out with a bang. Uh, it's only the first part of the cross-examination. And then we stop it and we begin to tell the backstory, the history of how it got there and the people involved. And then we pick up with the cross-examination again toward the end of the book. Uh, And I think it was an effective way because, you know, we're introducing the the characters in chapter one, but then going forward in successive chapters, we explain who they are. You'll see, for example, a picture of John T. Scopes. He was 25 years old and, you know, he puts on glasses in front of the camera as they're, you know, taking his picture with an old time, you know, tripod camera. Uh, to make him look a little bit older and more mature and more serious. Uh, he's an interesting character because he he was 
educated. He had a college degree, which was kind of rare back in those days. And he was a school teacher. Mostly he was a coach of the football team. But he was a very intelligent man. His fame from the trial ruined his life. Wherever he went, uh, you know, people knew who he was. And he became an alcoholic. And, uh, you know, he went down to South America. There was a photograph taken of him two years after the trial. He looked like he'd aged 50 years. Uh, And so it's just one of the stunning, remarkable stories about all of this. Um, There was so much fame associated with it, Devin. You know, Mm -hmm. journalists, as I say, the world over converged on the town. They set up microphones inside the courtroom. This was the first trial that was broadcast live on radio to a riveted nationwide audience. People took off from work so they could sit around and listen to the radio, courtesy of WGN out of Chicago. They had in the back of the courtroom, and I, I show some photographs of the courtroom, Uh, with all these people in it. If you look carefully, you'll see on a tripod newsreel cameras. And every day there was a plane with the engine running just outside of town that would take the film from the newsreel cameras and ship it to Chicago, fly it there. And then it would immediately be distributed nationwide in movie theaters. Every single major newspaper in America uh, had banner headlines every day about the trial and would actually print, you know, transcripts of the events of that day in long form. So, you know, it was an amazing, it's one of the reasons why I call it the trial of the century. Yeah. So tell me, Greg, just, you know, we have a couple more just questions that I, I think I want to go over with you. One of them, one of is, so you know, kind of back to the trial. So the, the trial went on, it's roughly a hundred years ago, roughly a yes. hundred years ago, go, you know, from, and then that's a really interesting point you said about imagine where we are today yeah. with if a hundred years ago, if you're, if you're right, and I assume you're or close to right, that was one of the first big public events, especially as a courtroom goes, you know, think about today where, you know, you're, we're moving so quickly on these devices and, you know, true social and everything else. And um, things have, you know, obviously really changed. And I'm, I'm bringing this up because we kind of started with it, but you know my fascination with the fake news yeah. uh, and how they're crushing free speech and how they're destroying the country. Because you mentioned at the outset that there is a bit of that that took place at that time. And you talked about, and I didn't know that Scope was kind of a broken, destroyed man. Walk us through kind of what you found in the research comparing what was actually said in the trial to what was being reported by the news at the time, and where do they rank on the uh, fake fake news meter? You know, it's interesting because uh, today we criticize members of the media for allowing their opinion to influence unduly their reporting. But that was happening also back in the 1920s. Uh, one of the great uh, journalists of all time, H.L. Mencken, and we have a picture of him in the book as well. Now, mind you, he was a columnist. It was his job to offer an opinion. And he was absolutely pro-Scopes, pro-Clarence Darrow. Uh, He ridiculed and demeaned and mocked William Jennings Bryan. Um, But I must say some of the other news accounts were not that different than an opinion columnist. 
And so, you know, fast forward 98 years later to today, and, you know, <laughs> we pretty much see the same thing. So, you know, not much has changed. You know, people say today, oh, it's more divisive than ever in America politically. Nonsense. Those people have never read about Alexander Hamilton and John Adams and Thomas Jefferson and James Madison and some of the ugly vitriol and the defamation that took place back then uh, at the beginning yeah. of our nation. And they did it with pseudonyms, uh, you know, fake names. And, and, you know, John Adams in particular was, was completely slandered and libeled uh, by Alexander Hamilton, who hated him. Uh, so, you know, people today who think, to, you know, now is the most divisive ever in America, <laughs> they don't know their history. Well, well, and maybe it ebbs and flows, right? Because I think yeah. for sure the defamation levels are maybe not all-time high, but they're pretty damn high. Yeah. It's, it's much different from when I first got into politics, you know, where you still had people that could you know, agree to disagree. Ultimately, you would do the right thing. And you don't see that today. And maybe there's a lot of pressure points that are coming, you know, from the ground between new, you know, between the tech tyranny that's going on and the ability to control messages, the propaganda, all of that, you know, is clearly much worse than what it was when I got into politics, you know, 25 years ago. Um, And, you know, maybe it's a, you know, and and as you know, um, I've been, you know, taking on the, the fake news directly, um, bringing a number of of very uh, uh, clear defamation and slander suits to the courts, you know, really, you know, hoping, I guess, in the, at the end of the day, I just hope that, you know, maybe level our heads will prevail, that defamation, you know, is illegal in this country. And maybe we get back to, maybe I'm Pollyanna about this, Greg, but, uh, you know, hopefully, you know, drive some sense into that uh, defamation and slander is not good for the country. And if we can stop that, slow that, maybe everybody calms down and begins to actually focus on the real problems that that face this nation. But, you know, the the creation of social media, and you know this, you're the head of uh, True Social, but the creation of social media, you know, I don't know when the platforms first began, but Twitter obviously became the most popular. But you know, that allowed for fake news, slander, defamation, libel, and so forth, because people people could post anonymously, right? Right. So, you know, some guy who's 35-year-old sitting in his mom's basement where he lives, you know, is, uh, you know, peddling all kinds of stuff that's simply made up. And the trouble is, especially young people, they tend to get all their news and information from social media. You know, my God, I, you know, I tell my daughters and thankfully they listen to me that, you know, you got to read newspapers and books. uh, And, you know, don't just limit yourself, your knowledge to social media. Social media is incredibly value in so many ways, but you got to be careful and you got to be cautious and, and you have to scrutinize it and be judicious when you read it because don't believe everything Ima- you read. Imagine uh, that getting back to, to, to reading books again, yeah. uh, something that we all we all probably need to do. And Greg, 
Congratulations on your book. And where can people go and find your book? Well, it's called The Trial of the Century. You see here on the cover, uh, Clarence Darrow and William Jennings Bryan at the commencement of the trial as they're about to do battle. Uh, You can go to uh, barnesandnoble.com. You can go to uh, amazon.com. You can go to my website and uh, you can gain access, uh, make a few clicks and uh, you can order the book. It's up for pre-sale right now. It comes out May 30th. It'll be in bookstores everywhere. So, well, okay. Uh, my website is thegregjarrett.com slash book. Again, that's uh, thegregjarrett.com slash book. Uh, and I invite people to read it. I, I think it's an incredibly important book because it established the values that we so cherish now, especially free speech. Well, Greg, I have the, the book waiting for me when I get back home and I've read the preface of it, but I can't wait to read it. And I know it's going to do well, uh, far different than your, your previous books. Uh, but as always, I just want to thank you for being a, a great Great legal mind out there and for your friendship over all these years. And and like I said, uh, um, I think people, I'm sure, will enjoy it because this is something that even I had forgot about. Yeah. Uh, and I think many of us had just forgotten about this, what happened 100 years ago. Yeah. Jevin, thank you so much, uh, not just for doing this, and it's, it's sincerely appreciated, but all the work you did in Congress uh, exposing lies and deception and government abuse. And that was important. And it still is. And I know you're doing that. Well, and I think, I think it's these types of books and what we're doing at True Social that, uh, that will make a difference, you know, continuing to fight this fight because the fight, the fight goes on to have a better country. Never give up, never give in. Thanks very much, Devin. Thanks a lot, Greg. Great to be with you.